0: Great stuff. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Just before we get there, I just want to ask the question, what's normal? Notice I'm not asking who's normal, because I'm not asking for volunteers for this one. I'm not confident with that question. So, what's normal is the question. What's normal? Let me just ask you, uh, we will do a survey on this one. If you've, we're going to talk about flying. This is not Superman flying, but aeroplane flying. So we're going to go for a show of hands, and don't be embarrassed on this. Um, We're going to go from never flown through to a few more options. So hands up if it's normal for you not to fly. You've never flown anywhere. Okay. Hands up if it's normal for you if you do fly, to fly economy class. Sorry, cattle class. <laughs> okay, hands down. Uh, hands up if it's normal for you, due to your work, perhaps, to fly business class. Okay, thank you. Just one hand, I think, for that. Hands up if it's normal for you to fly first class. No hands. That's interesting, isn't it? Thank you. Not a great surprise. But uh, So we went from... Never flying, which I think was nobody, through to first class, which was nobody. And most of us, bar one, our economy. (laughs) So that for us defines our normal flying experience. That means that when we go on a flight, we're planning ahead. It means that we're not expecting necessarily wonderful service weighted on hand and foot. We're not expecting someone to kind of turn down the covers for us and and kind of make sure we're, we're laid flat and comfy. We're not expecting to have absolute silence around us. We're not expect, expecting to have champagne on tap. Well, see, All this is what I imagine happens in the other bits, because obviously I've only ever flown economy. Um, some of you may have had that moment where you bumped up to the next. Has everybody ever been upgraded? Yeah, okay, a few of you have been upgraded. That must be a nice feeling, when what's normal becomes what's abnormal and you're in this experience where suddenly you enter into another world and the curtains draw back. Jesus spoke about this, didn't he? Or it happened on the cross when the veil in the temple was torn and you walk from the holy place to the most holy place in the temple in the Old Testament and, and, and in that kind of temple in Jerusalem. Well, this is what happens in going from economy up to premium economy, up to business, to first class. The, the, te- the curtain is torn. I won't do a show of hands for this, but similar question. Uh, never eating out, where that's normal. Or if you do eat out, Wetherspoons is the peak. What? No, no, don't mock. We were all economy a minute ago. Don't start mocking Wetherspoons. <laughs> Next one up might be local restaurants. You know, that's the pinnacle. Or, or nothing less than two Michelin stars. That's normal for you. So kind of define it this way, and we will start pegging ourselves on where normal is. And if I did one more, just indulge me for this for a moment. How about electricity? You have no electricity and no access to any. You have electricity for maybe an hour a day. You have electricity for much of the day, but it's unreliable. Or you expect to have electricity apart from the other day when there's a power cut for about 30 seconds. Where do we fit there? So suddenly we're in the luxury bracket now, aren't we? Now this is not a talk about um, poverty and and riches or expectations necessarily about life, but it's just to to help us think that we define normality by what's around us, by by our everyday experiences, by our upbringing. We define normal by by what we've been taught by those around us. And I want to help us today through a, a really simple passage in the Bible to look again at what normal Christianity might be like. Is that okay? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. You see, there's a billion plus Christians in the world, many, many denominations, many different cultures, different histories, and each of those come with different expectations. But I think Jesus shows us an aspect of normal Christianity, and I want us to look at that together today. So Luke chapter 9, and today it's all on one screen, so there's no flicking backwards and forwards on for reading the text at least it's all here so Luke 9 I'm going to read uh, this out for us when Jesus had called the 12 that's the disciples together he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill he told them take nothing for the journey No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, I just need to give a caveat to this. I'm challenged by this passage already. I'm gonna be really honest with you. If I'm gonna say this has anything to do with normal Christianity, I'm already challenged. I don't know about you. Because this is starting to look already, and we've only read it once, slightly different to my day-to-day existence. And I'm just suggesting from my knowledge of some of you that this is slightly different from your day-to-day existence too. So, but I think Jesus is doing something here which is redefining for us normal Christianity. I'm really, really encouraged by this passage and I want to share that too. A couple of things just to say as we go through. Um, I want to suggest that I think it's Jesus that defines normal. So it's Jesus that here is, is starting off by calling disciples to him. It's, it's Jesus that this passage starts with. It's him that gives them power. It's him that sends them. I think this is Jesus who defines normal. The Christian faith for all of us starts with saying yes to Jesus. It starts with Jesus and then we get to say yes to him. And, and that's what happens at the beginning. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with the King of Kings. It starts with the one who loved us and died for us. He initiates, we respond, and it starts with him. Whether you've been brought up in the Christian faith, godly parents who've encouraged you and prayed for you and brought you to church, this one or a different one, Or whether there was a defining moment where suddenly you saw. Or whether there was a combination of the two where you had some experience of faith, but but still you entered into a journey of realization of what God had done. It all started with Jesus. He's the beginning. So I just want to say Jesus gets to define what's normal. Becoming a disciple for the guys in the New Testament, or for us too, is is a process of beginning to continually say yes to Jesus. That's what it is. Being a disciple is beginning a process of continually saying yes to Jesus. Jesus defines what happens. There are many that came to Jesus that, that walked away again. There are many that started off saying yes, and then after they said yes, then said, oh, we're not so sure now, and, and off they went. Judas was one who followed Jesus for three years and and said, yes, 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 went out on mission, did all sorts of things, but there was a growing uncertainty within him about whether the kind of Savior Jesus wanted to be was the kind of Savior Judas wanted. And he said no at one point. There's always an option to say no. But I pray we don't take it. I pray we continue to say yes, yes, yes. Yes. I, I just want to check, are, are you okay with this thought so far? That Jesus sets the rules for what defines discipleship. Is that okay? We had a wedding here last Sunday. It was lovely. Really nice. Wedding Sunday afternoon. And I, I've said this before, but I love the vows in a wedding service. It's the best bit. And, and there's vows which are made, which and they only work if they're total. If someone is at the moment of putting, I think it's the exchanging of rings, where you say, all that I have I give to you, all that I am I share with you, with my body I honor you. If if that's only partial, it doesn't really work, does it? Or at least it loses its impact at that moment. If, picture the scene, wedding service is going on, and there's a discussion that's happening between the two people at the front about how much they're willing to give and what they're wanting to keep. And so they start off with a ring that goes onto someone's finger, and they say, with my, well, with most of my body, I'll honor you. You can have my left leg. That will always be faithful to you. Some of what I have I give to you, but actually there's quite a lot I'm keeping for myself. Thank you very much. You you can see already that this this is not going to be the start of a happily ever after. This is already a recipe for disaster. Why? Because the marriage service is predicated on the fact that two people, to the best of their ability, are in that moment committing everything they have and all that they are to each other. Now what couples who've been married a long time realize is that actually that's only the beginning. Uh, And for a marriage to work, there's a continual self-giving that continues from that point and carries on. And it's not a renegotiation of the contract because that happens, but there's a rediscovery that there's a bit more that's required. I thought I'd given everything, but oh, there is another bit of me. that, And that happens day by day, and it's similar with Christian faith. That that intention on day one to follow Christ actually needs to be followed up by a repeated assertion that Jesus sets the rules. And I say yes to him, that he defines what's normal. That's really important. And that's going to be a, a significant part of where, uh, giving us permission to go and look at this passage a little bit further. Secondly, much more quickly, uh, normal Christianity is for normal people. You might not feel normal today, uh, but I think the Bible does something. The NIV version of the Bible does something quite unhelpful by capitalising T in twelve in this first verse. When Jesus had called the twelve together. Now it's doing that because it's recognizing the twelve disciples as a group. It's just a, a noun and it's kind of using them as this, this kind of term to say the twelve. But it could be that we set them apart and we say somehow they're special and they're different and Jesus treats them in a very different way to how he speaks, treats us. Well, these guys are different because they're the first disciples, but they're ordinary men. A bit later on, when they're in front of the Sanhedrin, Peter and John. Uh, it says that they, can, they, they could see that they were ordinary men. Ordinary and unschooled. The Greek word is idiotes. You can work out for yourself. They were ordinary and unschooled men. St- but they'd been with Jesus. Now sometimes we can meet famous people, and I don't know if you have, you've met a really famous person, and, or a, uh, yeah, somebody you're in awe of, and you discover that actually they're quite ordinary. And it's a bit of a shock to the system to discover that they're just normal like you and me, that they have to eat, that they, they don't just kind of survive without eating, that that as a result of eating, they have to go to the toilet and they're just normal people. And you discover that actually they're just regular. Well, these 12 were regular people. So normal Christianity is for normal people. Ah-ha, we're getting onto the challenging bit. Jesus gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Normal Christianity, normal discipleship is normally powerful. The truth of Jesus is life-changing. For all of us who've said yes to Jesus, we've discovered that we've begun a journey of complete transformation. Not because we're perfect, but because we're far from it. Not because we're better than anybody else. Far from it. All that's happened is that by God's grace, our eyes have been opened to see that our need of him, and we've said, Jesus, I need you. That's all that's happened. (coughs) Nothing special (coughs) about us. As opposed to other people. (coughs) Excuse me. But very special compared to what we used to be. Not by our own effort, but by God's grace. That same power that raised Christ from the dead that tra- is transforming our lives, that's changing our value systems, that's changing our ambitions, that's changing our relationships, that's changing how we see the world, that's changing our attitude to money and changing our attitude to poverty and changing our attitude to politics and changing our attitude to everything, that same transformation that Jesus is working inside is powerful and is powerfully at work in us. But sometimes we lose sight of this. The specific power Jesus gives is power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And I tell you, when you've been in situations where the demonic is manifesting, this is evil spirits uh, that people have, for whatever reason, have been completely consumed by, that are taking over their lives. When you're in that situation and someone's life is out of control and they're begging for help and you present the name of Jesus, you know that there is all power in that name because the demons flee. And Jesus is glorified. Now, that's not something we see every day. But I tell you, it works. Jesus works. Jesus is Lord. And sometimes we don't feel powerful. I've just got this little picture of a torch because I think all that's happened is it's been such a long time since we've needed to use the power, such a long time since we've accessed it, that it's a bit like the torches that live in my cupboard at home. We've got several, we keep buying new ones every few years. Because they never seem to work. And you put new batteries in and something else has gone wrong. But you buy a torch, you stick it in the cupboard. And when you go to need it, you can, you can bet that the batteries have run out. And I've not even turned the jolly thing on. It's just sitting in the cupboard. But I think the power that God gives us is a little bit like that. He's given us this incredible, life-changing power. But we go month to month without accessing it and just surviving in our own strength. I think that the disciples here, because they instantly put into practice what Jesus has has told them they are able to turn the torch on and it works does that make sense or is it just Albert who agrees with me (laughs) you turn it on and it works and for us I think we go thank you I've got a torch I'll put it in the cupboard for when I need it and when we go back we've gone back six months later because we've finally got someone in front of us who's sick and needs us to pray and oh where did that power go And it's just because it's not part of our common everyday usage. I think we forget. So it's time to pray again and get back in touch with with that power, to keep praying, keep trying, just have a go. (laughs) Next, and this is where it's going to get even more challenging. Normal Christianity involves being sent out to proclaim. Jesus sent out the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick to be a follower requires that we are sent there isn't and I was going to say I'm sorry to say this but there isn't an alternative you can't have first class I'm an apostle business class i, I preach preached the gospel quite a lot premium economy I shared once with a couple of people Economy, I'm just going to get there by the skin of my own teeth. That'll be enough for me. Thank you very much. And don't fly while I'm not a Christian. That's not how the gradations work. For Jesus, who's setting the rules, and we did say that, he's sending out the 12 and they don't have an option. Even Judas goes to preach. Judas is preaching the kingdom of God and he's healing the sick. All Christians are sent and there are no exceptions. All are sent to heal. All are sent to demonstrate the kingdom of God. All are sent to show that Jesus is alive and to bring the kingdom. All are sent in God's power to bring freedom. This, I'm going to come back to this, this though involves trusting God. Jesus says to them and normal, trust, normal Christianity involves trusting God. Jesus says take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirts. I'm not good at this. If I go out for a drive in the car, in the back of my car is not only the spare tire, not only have I got the the phone number for the breakdown company, but I've got a foot pump and I've got a few extra bits just in case. Rob and I were at a conference this week for two days. Stayed overnight in Travel Lodge. Don't judge me. It was fine. It was very nice compared to some of the other places we looked at to stay in because they were a little bit cheaper like nine bedded dormitories um, Travelodge was was absolute luxury um, it was fine now we stayed there overnight and I confess I took a little bag with me because it was very hot it was hottest the other day near Heathrow our conference was in Heathrow area we were meeting in a metal roofed church building with no aircon, We were hot. I was very grateful for my little bag that had a change of clothes or three in it because I used most of the stuff I took with me. I was very grateful for the shower in the travel lodge that I could use multiple times. We were busy for those two days, but I didn't follow what Jesus said. I did take a bag and some money and several extra shirts. Now, I'm saying that. I'm not condemning myself for that. That wasn't a particular revelation for me that I needed to go to the Travel Lodge with no clothes. That would have been a different challenge, probably a legal one. Um, But I've just put this up here to suggest that I think we struggle to be normal if normal means trusting Jesus with everything because a lot of the time we can get on without needing him. Much of our day-to-day life we can do without asking, and we do pray and we do submit everything to God, and we do pray, thanking God that He's giving us our daily bread. But actually, if He stopped for a week or two, we'd be all right. That's how we think. That's how we manage, and we cope. And and some of that could be being responsible. But I'd love us to to get back. I'd love me to get back to that place where I'm completely trusting with everything because I think that's what the disciples are called to do. Normal Christianity requires going out into our communities and beyond. And they went out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I've got a little picture of Tunbridge Wells and Tunbridge and up to Maidstone, Sevenoaks, down to Crowborough, um, Paddock Woods on there. I've tried to include most of the key places that most of us are living. And we, the, our AGM a few weeks ago, I've done some preparation for that to present a sense of vision and what God's saying to us as a church at this time and just shared about some of the changes that are happening in this area. You see, population growth is predicted to rise. So our community, going out into our community, means it will mean a different thing now to what it means in a few years' time because there'll be more people to go into. Office of National Statistics is If you put that with the council figures, predicting probably a 6% rise in population over the next few years in Tunbridge Wells itself. Some of the outlying areas too, but particularly in the town centre or in the town of Tunbridge Wells. And the local council you have seen are looking for, for ways of housing people, looking at different schemes, maybe a housing corridor along the renewed A21. Maybe a whole block of housing through up to Southborough to join up from the town up round and to Southborough to take in some of the fields there. There's all sorts of options being considered. Maybe a new town that will be built. I think it's likely to be Tumbridge Wells, but who do, what do I know? Um, but there's all sorts of plans and, and possibilities being discussed as, uh, to, to look at this. And already there's houses going up all over the place. Uh, office buildings being converted into flats. Some of you are affected by that because the way you work is changing. Um, there's new buildings going up on brownfield sites and greenfield sites across the town as there's a call for more housing in our town. Now, I'm not excluding Tunbridge and elsewhere. The same's going to be happening there, too. I've just looked at the stats for Tunbridge Wells. And there's going to be thousands and thousands more people coming into our town. Already in Hawkenbury, there's plans for uh, new development with a new school. Uh, there's, there's going to be new primary schools. There's already one just up the road here on the hospital site. Uh, there's a new school over by the, Cine- the uh, Odeon Cinema site. There's, there's expansive housing development happening across our town. I think that's exciting. It's exciting because we've got a whole load of new people to share Jesus with and to go into with a message of hope, just like these early disciples. We've got a whole load of new people coming, expecting to find something new. And what they may not yet know is that something new might include Jesus. And it might include hope not just of a new house and a new school for their kids, and it might just not just include hope of a new job, but it might include hope of an eternal life with Jesus Christ. And that excites me. Uh, businesses and employments are changing. The council's got hopes for, uh, for uh, the key sites in the town, and there's going to be continuing discussions about the old cinema site in uh, the town centers, continuing discussions about the council buildings and what happens there. But the plans are for continued movement forward. This is going on, whether we like it or not. Each one of those people coming into our town and through our town is created by God and I believe deserves an opportunity to say yes to Jesus just like we did. Now these disciples I'm suggesting, I'm just going to pause for a sec, let's go back to the scripture. These disciples I'm suggesting were called by Jesus who sets the parameters of what that means. They're sent into their communities to preach the gospel, to heal those who are ill and to take nothing with them. Now, it could be that I'm preaching out of context and it could be I can find, you could find some biblical reasons why we shouldn't do this today. I've thought of a few. This could be a one-off just for these 12 disciples. We could ask the question, but what about my family and close friends who probably don't already yet know that I'm a Christian, they're still not Christians yet. What about husband and wife? Isn't there a verse about that? Okay, well, let's have a look at these. This could be a one-off, but it's not. Jesus sent the 72. He commissioned all disciples to be disciple-makers at the end of the Gospels. He sent all of us to go and do this. The early church did that. Family and close friends what about them? The assumption in this passage when Jesus is sending the 12 is that their close families and friends already know about Jesus. They've already had an option to respond. How do I know that? Because Peter's mother-in-law has already been healed by Jesus. Because Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew the tax collector and others have left their professions and they've started following Jesus. It's a public following. They said yes publicly. They had to have the conversation with their family and say, we're we're off following this bloke and nothing is ever going to be the same again. This is not a private, eyes shut, hands up in a church moment. This is a public following of Christ where the whole community gets to see. Zacchaeus held a party when he came to Christ. Everybody knew. Thirdly, what about marriage partners? There is a brilliant verse in 1 Peter 3, verse 1 which talks about Christian wives in this context, and the context is those who they obviously had in that particular community some husbands that weren't Christians, weren't believing in Jesus, weren't following him. And and Peter says to them, um, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them don't believe their words, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And he goes on from there. That's a wonderful passage, and I use that to encourage people in that situation. But, so I think you should do that. should not, if you're married, and you're a wife, and you've got a husband, and they're not a Christian, or vice versa, um, don't keep beating them up with the Bible. Don't keep bashing them over the head. Why in that context do, do I think that's the right thing to do? Because you're living with this person day by day by day by day by day. And so they can see intimately the way you make decisions. They can see everything you're doing. They can see the choices you're making. They can see the passion you have. They can see the vibrancy by which you you live your life. So they've got an opportunity rubbing up with you in your life and connecting with you to see that Jesus is Lord in every area through how you live. What I fear we've done is take that verse that applies to somebody who's lived with us in that context and we've applied it to everybody else. And we've said, actually, I think I'm going to show everybody that I just love them, and they're going to expect, they're going to know God, God through that, through my love. And I don't think it works like that. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have sent them, us to them. I, I think that works in one context only, which is for marriage partners. And I'll, I'll carry on with that in just a second. There might be some other reasons why we don't have to go and tell people about Jesus, why we don't have to be like the disciples and be sent. I've just has got a few for you. Maybe we don't have the power or authority. Maybe it's not my calling, or I don't feel led, or if God wanted to, he'd tell me. Maybe there are other ways of proclaiming than talking. Maybe God cares about poverty and justice too. Maybe we're not ready. Maybe we've not got all we need. And I'm going to only answer this, I think, from the passage that we've read. And I'll do this quickly for the sake of time. We haven't got the spiritual power. I think I've addressed that already. Jesus has given us the power, we're just not using it. It's given us the authority. I think it's time to pull out the torch again and have a go. If you need new batteries, then, then let, let someone pray with you for a fresh infilling of God. And before you go through the day, have a go and use it. Do it. Uh, secondly, it's not my calling. I, I'm afraid that's not an option. Jesus looked at the disciples, all 12 of them. We've got Peter, the big mouth. We've got some of the others who we never hear from in the Gospels, quieter characters. And he said to all of them, go and preach. You are hereby all called. When Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he didn't say just the extroverts. He said all. Go all. We've gone very quiet. You're okay. He sent all of us. And, and I'm nervous about some of this stuff. But he sent me just the same as he sent you. Just the same as he sent those those William Carey, was it, you quoted from earlier? Amazing people. I love reading books about them. I don't like replicating their lives. But he called all of us. If God wanted me, if God wanted me to go, he'd tell me. He has. It's in here. Um there are other ways of proclaiming than talking absolutely there are this is the time more than ever when a chap called saint francis pops up and people say didn't saint francis say preach the gospel at all times and where necessary use words there's three things i want to say about that really quickly number one Firstly, I think it's dangerous if Jesus tells us to do something and we're trying to find somebody else who can justify us not doing it. Fair point? Because that's indicating that we might have a problem. Secondly, it's a minor point, but Francis didn't say it. It's in the rule of St. Francis, which is followed by Franciscans, but it's not a quote attributed to St. Francis. Thirdly, preach the gospel at all times, and where necessary, use words. Well, let's just have a look at what it means to preach the gospel. If I'm preaching the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that there is a Savior, that I can be free from my sin, but I can choose to say yes to Jesus, if I can achieve someone understanding that through not saying a word, fabulous. Go for it. Honestly, go for it. Preach the gospel at all times, and where necessary, use words. I've, if I'm honest, the way I live my life, I try and be nice. I try and represent Christ in my decisions and my actions as well as in my words, but I've not had many people rushing up to me after I've let them out of a space while I'm driving to say, what must I do to be saved? All they do is go, oh, thank, people in some of worlds are nice, aren't they? They let me out. It hasn't yet provoked the kind of reaction where people come and say, you were really kind. What must I do? to find Jesus. So I just want to suggest to you that where the rule of the Franciscans says preach the gospel at all times and where necessary use words, I think it's still necessary unless we're absolutely convinced that we've left somebody with a full full enough understanding of the gospel to say yes to Jesus. If we haven't, we've not actually preached the gospel. We've been really kind and really nice, which is still important. Also, doesn't God care about poverty and justice? Absolutely. I want you to notice that they were sent to preach and heal. This wasn't an either or. They weren't sent to just go and tell people stuff that people didn't want to hear. They were sent to go and to bring the kingdom of God. Why? Because God cares about people. They were sent to set the captives free, to the people who have been demonized, to break off the chains of demon pr- oppression and set people free. They were sent to heal the sick and bring people into a new way of living. This is God, God's kingdom coming in fullness. This is not God just trying to convince people that he's right and they're wrong. This is, this is God out of compassion sending 12 to go and make a difference. Yes, God cares. If we're preaching without demonstrating and without healing and setting people free and bringing justice and compassion, we're only doing half what Jesus has told us to do. If we're demonstrating compassion and healing and and sorting out justice issues but not proclaiming the goodness of God, we're still only doing half. That's all I'm saying. There's a both and in this. I'm not asking us to choose. I'm saying we can do both. We can love people and we can say there's hope. Would you like to? Respond to Jesus. We're not ready. Well, if you have a Bible open, you might like to have a look just a few verses on. Verse 18, you'll discover that Jesus asks the question, who am I? The disciples at the point they're sent still haven't worked out who Jesus is. Now, if you think you're not ready in your Christian faith, but you already know that Jesus is Lord, you're ahead of the disciples at this point. So we're okay on this one. We've not got all we need. I think I answered that with my travel lodge story. He says, trust me, go. Now, we're pretty good at this bit, so we come up with more reasons. Um, I've still got a few more, because you might be thinking, well, you haven't got mine, so I'm all right. Um, I don't know anyone. I I don't know anyone that I can share the gospel with I don't know anyone. Actually, all my friends are Christians or I haven't got any friends. Uh, or I don't know anyone. What do I do? Well, get to know some people. The disciples were sent out and now this is, I'm not recommending this, but they were sent out and told to go and just go and into people's homes and stay there. Wouldn't that be cool? The new method of evangelism, folks. We're going to knock on the door and you're gonna, not going to take anything with you. You're going to say, I'm staying at your house tonight. I haven't got any money or any clothes. So what's for dinner? Oh, and by the way, I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, my Savior. Now, I'm not suggesting that might work in our context and culture because I think our hospitality is slightly different to what it was in the New Testament times. But this is what they did. If you don't know anyone, find someone to share with. Maybe, and this is a big one, maybe we've tried it before, and we've concluded that people aren't interested. Let me just check. So there's 72,000 people in Sunridge Wells. Have you tried all of them? <laughs> Honestly. Because this is the case. We've tried some and they weren't interested. And actually what it does to us is it grieves us. And we make a mistake because we think that God is responsible for telling people and I'm responsible for the results. It's the other way around. God's told us to tell people, and He's responsible for the results, and they're responsible for the results. It's only our job to point to Jesus and say, "There's a choice." I know this because in this passage, Jesus tells people that that tells the disciples to go into the homes, and where they're rejected. So He says they will be rejected. They have to shake the dust off their feet and move on. That's it. They're not to wring their hands and say, well, I've failed. I obviously haven't got the power. I haven't got the authority. It doesn't work. I'm never, ever, ever going to do it again. I don't think any of us have done that, but some of us have got close. Well, we've tried and we've got a bit embarrassed because I'm okay up here. I've planned what I'm going to say. But I'm in situations where I'm with somebody in the heat of the moment. Your words come out, came out all funny and it doesn't work and you get embarrassed. But actually there's still a compulsion to say to people there's a hope. If it hasn't worked before, don't let that put you off. It didn't put the disciples off because when it didn't work, it wasn't their fault. They shook the dust off their feet. And I imagine sometimes with tears they went on to the next village. So Jesus, they've rejected you, but I'm going to keep on going. What if they reject me? Well, they will do. This is a different culture, absolutely. Don't just go and walk into people's homes and demand dinner. Um, But I don't think it's changed the fact that people still need a demonstration and a proclamation. I don't think the people in our generation are any less deserving of an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The need is greater elsewhere. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There are thousands of people groups in which there is no self-sustaining church. There's no word of God. There's no opportunity for people ever to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed unless we go. So if God is calling you or if you've just heard my words and you thought that isn't right, I want to do something about it, talk to me about it because it may be that God's sending you. But if he isn't, he's he's got us here. And our role is still to be here. So what do we do next? Next. Well, I'm going to wrap up with this. Have a go. Trust God. Have a go. Lizzie, you've been waiting for this moment. Come and tell us what happened to you this week. Come. This is having a go. And it's it's going to link with this one down here, which is offer. So Lizzie, come up onto the stage. We want to all see, your, see you while you're sharing.
1: I was going to birthday lunch and on the way I saw um, a store with a chap selling cherries and I thought to myself I'll take the cherries to the to the uh, party anyway he he um, offered the cherries through the uh, car door window and said they were four pounds so I said they were a bit expensive anyhow in the end I paid 150 (laughs)
0: you didn't tell us all this earlier
1: (laughs) but that that laid the ground anyhow I said to him and out of the blue I said have you ever thought of becoming a Christian and he said no and I said to him well do you know it's been the best thing in my life ever I said it's been a wonderful adventure do you know this is the prayer I prayed Oh, God, if there be a God, reveal yourself to me. And I said, I recommend that prayer because it's a gut prayer. Pray from your inner being and you will find that God will answer. And I said to him, you know, I, was, I went to hear Billy Graham at Harringay, and afterwards I was in my art school and I was asked how to become a true Christian and I said I didn't know how. So the chap said to me, pray this prayer and I said and he said and I followed him Lord Jesus Christ thank you for dying on the cross for me thank you for forgiving me all my sins thank you for your gift of eternal life come into my heart Lord Jesus Mm. and I'll follow you And I'll make you my Lord. And do you know it happened? The cherry man. (laughs) And the cherry man said, I asked him then, had you got a Bible? And he said, yes. And I said to him, when you go home tonight, open up that Bible and God will speak to you. And he will give you eternal life.
0: Wonderful. So Lizzie, when you shared earlier, you said you asked him, Was he a Christian? And he said no. And then he said, Would you like to be? Yes. And he said, Yes.
1: Yes, he did.
0: There we go. That's it. So, round of applause for Jesus. Okay. So, really simply, now, that man's first impression of a Christian is that they don't like paying £4 for cherries. (laughs) But somehow, still, by the grace of God, God worked. Isn't that good? Did you give him the extra two fifty, or did you just give him the one pound fifty? Don't worry, don't worry. That's a, it's a no. That's fine. Um, okay, that's fine. So, what's interesting there, and I think this is this will be true if we put this to the test. I think this would be true if we asked everyone that we met if they would like an opportunity to know Jesus. I think some people would positively surprise us. Many might say no. But some would say, "Do you know what? Yes, I would." Yeah, thank you for asking. So what do we do? Well, have a go. If it's been a long time, have a go. Remember the results aren't up to us, they're up to God. Secondly, try somewhere new. If you're stuck with your friends and family and they're not interested, try somewhere else. Take a trip to another town. Try on the street. Try somewhere sharing Jesus and the hope that you have. Don't forget healing or preaching whichever one around you struggle with and preaching is proclaiming it's it's not doing this with a bible and set of notes and a headset microphone it's it's just proclaiming pointing to jesus that there is a hope discover compassion if you're not yet motivated by compassion for the lost discover it if you're not yet really if your heart doesn't burst and burn for those who don't yet know jesus and the fact that there's a possibility that they might end their lives without knowing Jesus, then discover compassion. Offer it, as we've said. Encourage each other. The disciples went back to Jesus, and they returned, and they reported to Jesus what they'd done, and then he refreshed them and did what Andy was telling us early earlier. He took them away by themselves and withdrew. I believe that our town and the towns around need us. Not because we're special, but because we're normal normal Christians called by an extraordinary God to present Jesus in this generation. I think this generation is wonderful. It's amazing. It's creative. It's inventive. There's there's going to be new stuff coming into our consciousness that we'd be aware of in a decade's time we've not even thought was possible now. There's so much creativity and imagination in our generation, but without Christ, they're lost. And I want to see Every person in our community having an opportunity, a meaningful opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And until they have, our job isn't done. Our job is not the results. We leave that to them and God. But our job is to carry Christ like the disciples and to proclaim him as we're generously and compassionately praying for the sick, as we're feeding the hungry, as we're dealing with injustice as we're fighting the cause of those who can't fight for themselves, as we're doing all of that, we do it in the name of Jesus. And as we do, I believe we'll glorify God and we'll give a generation an opportunity to say yes. Up until now, maybe we've just assumed that they're not interested.